is turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 and 16. And we'll just keep, keep that out because we're not going to be reading any large passage of Scripture. What I believe we should study this morning is, is basic, basic to, uh, but very important. You know, John Major at one stage had a thing back to basics, which was a complete disaster. Uh, but nevertheless, this won't be a complete disaster because it's basics we want to look at. You know, we as a nation have become experts on so many subjects by watching television. We're all experts on soccer. We're all experts on snooker. Even, even old ladies can tell you uh, about snooker. We're experts about it. We all know about all the operations we can have on the human body. I hate those ones. Don't want to know. <laughs> and we have endless general knowledge by watching all these quiz shows. But you know, we have acquired very little real knowledge. We have acquired very little from our own research. That's, that's a certainty. We get it all second hand. And sadly, this phenomenon has, has permeated into the churches. We acquire all our knowledge from coming to church. And you know, that's, that's good, because a minister, uh, or a, a good minister, Paul talks about, is one who should disseminate knowledge out to the congregation. However, our spiritual learning sometimes stops there, doesn't it? We've been spoon-fed by TV, and it has become part of the church culture as well. But what saith the scripture? And that is where we should always get back to. What does the Bible say? I have a letter, I have a letter to answer. A woman, I wrote, foolishly I wrote to a couple of magazines about Lent and a few things. And somebody saw the thing and she's written a big whole screed to me about Sunday worship. Whether we should worship on a Sunday or on a Saturday. And she's, she's genu I think it's a genuine inquiry. But she'd give me a thing to read and I'm going to have to read it. Sometimes we accept things so readily because somebody says it and it does it's good sometimes for somebody to pull us up and say why do you believe that and we have to look into it and not just accept everything the man in the front says we should be Bereans and they went back and they studied the scriptures to see if what they were being told was correct and that's what we should do. 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, a few weeks ago we looked at the fact that our Lord, when he was challenged by Satan, 
He rebuffed him by the word of God. He said, it is written. It is written. And if that was the way our Lord answered Satan and his enemies, how much more important that we should do the same. Now, we have in any gathering of Christians, we have Christians who are mature, hopefully, and then we have ones who have not been on the, the road, the Christian pathway, all that long. And then we have some, maybe, some new Christians. You know, unfortunately, maturity doesn't come with the length of time you've been a Christian. And it doesn't come from mixing with other Christians. It's not contagious. It's something we have to work at ourselves. And listen, look what Paul says here. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the word to study there means to exert oneself, to endeavor, to give diligence. And it also has the idea of hastening, hurrying. There's, a, there's an urgency about it. It's not something you sit back and maybe I'll study it someday. No, there's an urgency here. There's an urgency for us to study the Word of God. You know, every time I, I, I watch snooker and, and, and watch sport, I'm reasonably interested in sport, as Rosemary will tell you. When I watch it, I'm constantly amazed at the amount of time these guys, uh, women, uh, girls, uh, give to training. You get these snooker players four and five hours at a time practicing on this. It's no wonder they're good. We have soccer players who practice and practice and train every day of the week. We have swimmers who do lengths after length after length, and they're good. They're experts. Do I exert myself in Bible study? Do I have a sense of urgency as I, as I read and try to attain that maturity in Bible study? Now, what is the object of Bible study? What is the object? Now, listen. Listen carefully. Green's literal translation says, Earnestly study to present thyself approved to God. Earnestly study in order to present yourself approved to God. You know, surely that must put my emphasis on Bible study a lot it's a lot more serious, isn't it? Why am I studying the Bible? Why am I seeking to know more about his word? So that I can be approved to God. You know, we study history, we study maths. Everything, our trade, our job. And, and, and we, we study all those worldly things in order for self-gratification, self-improvement, to get more money, to be popular with our friends, to be able to play the sport better. Why do we study the Word of God? So that we'll be approved unto God. That, that, that puts a whole different complex, a whole different uh, 
reason for study so that I'd be approved by God. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. In those days, the athletes, when they, when they, they ran the marathon and things like that, they got a wreath. But it was a perishable wreath. But he says, we strive to do the things of God for an imperishable one. First Peter, he had the same idea when he was writing. First Peter 5 verse 4, When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away won't fade. The other wreath after a few weeks gone. But the crown that we will receive won't fade away. It's imperishable. I remember a friend of mine was a, a, a reporter and when he was a young reporter he, he was telling us that he had his first headline in the paper and he was excited and he brought the paper home and his mother was excited and they read it and they read the article and it was good. And about two days later he was watching her and she was cleaning out the ashes and his paper was being used to hold the ashes from the fire. It, it was perishable. His glory had gone. He was excited but it was only temporal. And that's the pleasures of the world. They're perishable. These athletes, Paul said, they, they ran and they trained themselves. What's he say? They exercise self-control in all things. And we've seen that from the athletes on TV. They, their self-control is amazing. But they're running for something which is going to perish. We as Christians are to run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And you know, our future inheritance won't fade away either. First Peter 1 verse 4. To an inheritance, he says, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Our inheritance won't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. You know, incidentally, I was reading a, a, a book the other day, and he, he pointed out that and this is slightly digressing, but I thought it was worth mentioning. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day. He was looking for to get this crown. But then he goes on to say, and this is something I'd never noticed before. He says, And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Are you looking for the appearing of our Lord and Saviour? Are you loving the thought of that? Is that your hope? You'll get a crown. Isn't that wonderful? We're all going to get crowns if we come into that category there. But let's go further on with the verse that we've seen. Study the show thyself. A workman that needeth not 
to be ashamed. They're painting a shop in Foy, and these couple of characters came to paint it. And if you'd seen them, they were the most unlikely looking characters to paint any place. One had blue, <coughs> blue hair. The other fellow looked equally a bit odd. But you know, I haven't seen as good a painting job for years. For years. A, fellow, a pal of mine used to complain. He was a builder and he said, I can't make money painting. Well, his, his foreman painter used to, wouldn't use sandpaper, he used glass to scrape the wood. And I said, that's why, look at the job you're getting. He's, he's, he's. But I said to these fellows, uh, painting the other day, I said, I, I, I must admire the painting. And he said, well, I, I take pride in what I do. And it gives me pleasure. This fellow with the blue hair, you know. And if you go down for the old paper shop, it's fantastic. He's not ashamed. He's a workman that's not ashamed of what he's done. And that's what Paul says here. Uh, yes, Paul says, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Someday we're going to meet our Lord. We had that hymn a few years, a few months ago. Uh, I read it out, we've never sung it. But it's a, a dream, and the, the, the person in the dream says, While others brought in their bright golden sheaves, I could bring nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves for the Master. Nothing but leaves. John, when he's writing in 1 John 2.28, says, And now, little children, abide in, abide in him, abide in Christ, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. We'll have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We won't be ashamed. Why will we not be ashamed? If we abide in him, stay close to him, study to show thyself approved unto God, and we won't be ashamed. God wants workmen. I'm sure you've seen that thing on, on car stickers. Carpenter from Nazareth needs joiners. And it's very true. He wants workmen who will be competent, confident, and earnest in their work. Jesus, when he was speaking, he said, Therefore, he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. He wants us to go out into his harvest. He wants workmen that will not be ashamed of what they do for him. But we are useless in the harvest field if we are not approved unto God. That's the secret. And how to become approved unto God? Study to show thyself approved unto God. And then it goes on to say, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So much today we see 
the word of truth been divided wrongly but it says we want to be rightly dividing the word of truth now I looked up to see what dividing the word of truth meant to cut straight to cut straight ways to proceed proceed on straight paths hold a straight course to teach the truth directly and correctly and I was thinking about that you know a carpenter that can't cut a straight saw line is useless a ploughman you look at the ploughed fields and see those lovely straight furrows somebody who's going like this no good a bricklayer can lay bricks correctly to the right bond to lay a straight course a sea captain who can't keep a straight course useless they're all useless to the, the master that's employing them therefore by rightly dividing the word of truth it's sticking to sound straight doctrine straight nothing crooked nothing twisted giving to those who are babes in Christ the milk to the, the ones who are mature in Christ strong meat to be there to console those who, who need comfort and strength that's what God is wanting people like that who are, who are not ashamed of what they stand up for but I wrote it down again we can do none of these unless I am prepared to study to show myself approved unto God and then I started thinking the word of truth the word of truth God's word and if you go to 2nd Timothy 3 16 it's a good one to remember an easy one to remember we all know John 3 16 2nd Timothy 3 16 all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness why that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto good works all scripture is given by inspiration of God that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works there's so many attacks on the word of God these days we must understand and fully believe that the Bible is the word of truth the Bible is totally sufficient and totally supreme and it is totally inspired Bible is our immovable rock on which we base all our faith and doctrine now a few weeks ago we looked at comments made by the Druid Archbishop of the Anglican Church 
there is an attack on the word of God from all quarters and I believe that people who attack the word of God like he has done is an agent of the devil I really do anyone who talks about the inspired words of revelation as the rantings of John the Divine and goes on to say page after page of paranoid fantasy and malice is nothing less than an infidel he really is and how anybody can, can, can stay within the church with him as the head, I just, it baffles me. You know, I was reading this old book the other night. And this was written about 150 years ago. But here's what this man said on this particular subject. In referring to infidel writers, we should bear in mind that by far the most dangerous of such are those calling themselves Christians. In our young days, whenever we heard the word infidel, we at once thought of Tom Paine or of Voltaire. Now, alas, we have to think of so-called bishops and doctors of the professing church. And that was happening 150 years ago. And things haven't changed. In fact, they've got worse. They've got worse. The so-called evangelicals within the Anglican Church have invited this man to their conference to speak because it's the custom to have. So you don't, you really, you don't need to have any beliefs and things to be invited to a lot of these conferences. The whole thing is strange. Dear, oh, I wrote down, dear Christian friends, guard dearly the words of Scripture. Guard it with your life. You know, we used to sing that chorus, the word of God, I'm standing on the word of God. Tis the book our fathers fought for, tis the book our fathers died for. The word of God, though the foes of the Lord may scorn his word, I'm standing on the word of God. Why is the Bible not popular? I'll tell you why. Jesus wasn't popular. They attacked him. And they'll attack his word. They won't attack the Quran. They won't attack a lot of these things of literature. Uh, they, they, these hundred best books. I, I, I saw a bit of it last night. It's sinister. Those hundred best books. Uh, most of the books for kids have all to do with magic. Terribly sinister, the whole thing. And they won't attack those. You won't get many people writing uh, critiques on, on, on Harry Potter uh, in the world but you'll have those same people doing programs about the Bible downgrading it because it is the word of God Paul writing in 1st Corinthians and it's better reading bits of scripture really rather than trying to say things because it's already been said a lot of this in scripture what, what I would try and put into different words. So if you look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. We have intellectuals who will, who will seek to downgrade scripture because of their supposed superior knowledge. But here's what Paul said. And if you ever think, 
because you were a Christian that you are chosen because you are highly intelligent always read this passage here for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness saying exactly what we're saying these days but unto them that are, which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men for we see your calling ye see your calling brethren how that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should, should glory in his presence we have nothing in our flesh to glory of but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written he that glorieth let him glory in the Lord no one despises learning it's wonderful the knowledge of man and the knowledge that God has given men and women in, in, in the sphere of knowledge and learning is fantastic. But when man's learning, and as Paul says, talks about science so cold, is pitted against the word of God, then beware, beware. You see, the trouble is, man applies carnal earthly methods to seek to understand the spiritual and it, it's impossible it's impossible heavenly truths concerning the word of God cannot be appreciated by the carnal mind and then let us read what Paul says again about this 1st Corinthians 2 verse 10 God has revealed to us through the Spirit for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what, per what person knows a man's thoughts except the Spirit of man which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. God's Word has been given to us as a gift. How do we understand it? Because the Spirit will reveal it to us. Carnal man cannot understand the Word of God, the depths of Scripture. But the Spirit reveals to you and to me the truths and the depths and the teaching of Scripture. And we, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who possess the Spirit understand what Paul's getting at here the unscriptural man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God 
for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man judges all things but is of himself to be judged by no one. God will judge him. For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And that's the wonderful thought, isn't it? God has implanted into us his spirit and his thoughts and his mind. And given us the ability through that, the, 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 the Holy Spirit indwelling us to understand the things of the spirit. Rightly dividing the word of truth. How will we? By the teaching and the indwelling Holy Spirit. I had this thing on the back. I think I'll read it. And this is a, an allegory that this chap had written. Changed it slightly. It's like a dream he had. And I was walking along the streets of Vanity Fair the other day and had my attention drawn to a huge edifice which was in the course of construction. Apparently there was a strike on as something that happened greatly to hinder the work. On inquiring what was the trouble, I was told that there was a dispute among the workmen. The men were holding a meeting, and as anyone was admitted, I went inside out of curiosity. Some had returned to their work, others were divided in opinion as to what was best to be done. It seemed that some were in fear that the building might fall, saying that some of the workmen were tampering with the foundations. The others were laughing them to scorn, vehemently asserting that their friends were but resetting the foundations. Which they, they, which they said had never been truly laid. On further inquiry, I found out that the building was called the churches, and that the workmen were divided into two camps, which some called fundamentalists and others modernists. The great fear of the former, that of the fundamentalists, was that the latter, the modernists, would remove the foundations. And on examining the damage already done, I was persuaded that there was much reason for alarm. I found several of the huge foundation stones partly out of place. Indeed, one on which I had deciphered the words, the virgin birth, was more or less broken and almost entirely removed from its place. If moved a little more, a great part of the building would be in jeopardy. Another had an inscription which was partly obliterated by the workman's tools. He was able to decipher it just about. It said, Inspiration of Holy Scripture. A third which appeared to me to be the chief cornerstone was being vigorously attacked with pick and crowbar. It bore the words, The Deity of Christ. I drew attention of some of these destructive workmen many of whom appeared to be scholars, to a notice left nearby. It read, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? But they scoffed at me and muttered something about progress and modern building methods, and fell to with greater zeal than ever. I turned away sad in heart, realizing the building was doomed. But as I was about to step out into the street, a young man in shining garments touched me on the shoulder and gave me a letter bidding me read it. 
I broke the seal and read, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. And I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Much comforted by these words, I passed on. That's what's happening. The truths of Scripture are being eroded, eroded, and the main one is the deity of Christ and the inspiration of Scripture. And if these start to be removed, the church will fall. Man's church will fall. But listen, the exciting is, thing is, Jesus said, I will build my church. His church is being built. Little groups of people here and there who are true to his word are building his church. A few in Africa, a few in India, a few here, a few there. His church, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works, it says. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. To, you can get houses to let. Some of them are unfurnished. Some are furnished. Fully furnished, you used to see. Some are partly furnished. How are you? In, 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 if you were a house, if I was a house, what would be the description of my life? Would I be unfurnished? Would I be partly furnished? That's the worst kind. Because when a house was partly furnished, they did it to get over some rent act. But the, the, it was partly furnished. It was neither one thing nor the other. But what we wanted was fully furnished. And that's what our lives should be. Fully furnished, complete in Christ. Totally His. Our temples are the holy, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are we furnished completely by Him? Totally. Let it close. But what, what do we get from all this? Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen.